So what happens when you're one of those lucky people who gets on the upward swing for MAC Cosmetics? You're there when nobody has heard of it and you are one of the first people in and you get to ride that tiger all the way to the top and you see how fabulous it is to have a company that has values and meaning and works in the AIDS market, you know, way before anybody else had a conscience and brought really, they really brought the beauty industry around to realizing that there's a lot that they could do for a lot of people. And then you get, you know, you go off and work for other products and it's all great and it's fun and it's wonderful and you're making great money. And then you're saying to yourself, but there's got to be more to this than this. And so many of us reach that point and that is why we reinvent. So I'm really excited that you get to meet Paula Floyd, who did that and came up with an idea that she felt so strongly about that she wanted to invest herself without raising capital. She, as she says, she doesn't want to answer to the man again. I totally understand what you mean, Paula. <laughs> I don't want to answer to the man or the woman myself. Exactly. So what did she do? She sold her house and she moved out of the Bay Area to be able to have enough money to self-fund her idea. And she did it. And of course, just as she was getting started, it was right in the middle she got going in 2019 in November, right before you guessed it, the pandemic. So anyway, the wonderful news is they are coming out and not only is her personal reinvention story fabulous, but the story of how she's teaching stores to reinvent how they put cosmetics out there, especially those small indie brands, which are really cool and interesting and get them into the hands of people like you and me. And the name of her company is called Headcount, H-E-A-D-K-O-U-N-T.com. That's where you'll find her. And I think you'll really enjoy this uh, conversation with Paula about her reinvention and also how she's reinventing the beauty industry. Hello, Paula. So glad to have you with us. Hi. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks for having me. So here we are on the inspiration trail. You have so much interesting background and so many different ways. You've reinvented yourself, you've reinvented your business, you've reinvented the way beauty business is done. I think let's start with your personal reinvention. I always find that that is the most interesting starting point. Talk a little bit about how you got into beauty um, and working for the man, as we said, yeah. what that was like and where you were doing that. Yeah. You know, I, I got into the beauty industry a bit by mistake. Um, I was a flight attendant for Pan Am, who even knows that <laughs> Pan Am exists. Um, and really, I was a beauty junkie. And I would constantly go into Marshall Fields at the time, now known as Macy's, and, you know, picking up my products and a woman came to me one day and she said, Hey, you really seem like somebody who we would love to have on our team. I didn't think much about it. Uh, I happened to be at a party and somebody showed me this little pot of concealer and the concealer said MAC on the front of it. And I'd never heard of it. Well, interestingly enough, Two weeks later, I happened to be in an interview and the interview was actually for this company called IPP. They were a 
company that actually were selling Mac within the United States. So they were a distributor. And during the interview, it was actually for a skincare company. And the woman goes, you know, we really see you. Have you ever heard of this company called Mac? And it just struck me so like this was the perfect segue, right? To this brand was kind of calling my name and nobody had heard of it. Um, they were this tiny little startup by these two uh, men founders. And I started working for them. I opened up the first Nordstrom within the Chicago area and there started my career. Uh, from there, it was just unbelievable 17 years. I really feel that's where I grew up in the industry. But the biggest thing and my biggest love and passion was, aside from the product, was the culture that, the supportive culture that the Mac we grew up with and we were constantly trying to uh, cultivate just this brand of our story and our history and who we were and the good we were doing. You know, they were the first to invent, you know, cruelty-free um, or not invent, but really talk about it, the Mac AIDS fund. So all of a sudden I'm starting to shift into, oh, I love beauty, oh, I love these products, but wow, look at what we can change in this industry and help others. And so to me, that was really, I knew I was gonna have this long career, um, but reinventing myself along the way uh, within this industry. That's so funny. It's so reminiscent of when I got to Vogue um, for a couple of years there when I was like, okay, so this is really great. I can get free cosmetics out of the, you know, beauty closet. I can get my hair cut for cheaper. Is this all there is? And then when I started reading other magazines, Vogue was late to the party for giving back, but there were other magazines out there and places out there that weren't and that was when I suddenly said, oh, you can take what you know and you can do something with it. So it's very likewise, I can see that. So how did, so you did 17 years at Mac and then where did you go from there? Uh, then I would, I was going into bigger corporate brands, um, the big guys, I call them, you know, even though Mac at the time I left them, um, we were a big guy. So we were a startup. Nobody knew who we were to, you know, we were doing 12, you know, very small amounts a month in revenue to, you know, multi-billion dollar company. Then I went into other larger companies, as I had uh, mentioned, and just had an incredible career. I was picking up all these different ways of, of running business, whether it was you know, learning how to run services at Benefit to working with, you know, one of the greats, Leslie Blodgett at Bare Minerals. And uh, through there, what started happening is I noticed myself uncomfortable or just not feeling great. The money was there. The title was there. It's kind of like I had everything. Who am I to sit here and complain about? Oh, poor me, right? <laughs> like, oh, wow, poor you. You have this incredible career and journey. But honestly, inside something was happening to me and it was happening as I was uh, maturing. And in my fifties, I noticed I was, it was happening you know, every couple of years. And I would just sit there and think like, what is wrong with me? The company's great. The people I work with are lovely. 
And uh, that's when I just decided, scared to death, um, I need to make a move. So I did, you know, I did a little questioning from my colleagues and I have just built these relationships with these incredible women over the course of my career. And I started asking them, you know, where do you see the industry going? Um, do you believe that, um, you know, there's, there's another way of driving sales for these beauty brands. And it wasn't even about like what the business model was going to be. It was going to be like, do I love this? Can I do this? Um, and I honestly, for a long time, didn't think I could. And I thought I had to have that corporate job and, you know, terrified that I couldn't go out on my own, that I had to have, seek the approval um, from everyone else. And it came down to, I realized that I was the star of my own show, as silly as that sounds. And I kept looking at everyone else being the star of their show. Um, and I was so inspired by so many women starting up their own beauty brands. And I thought, gosh, if they can do it, you know, I can do it. Um, but what is it I'm going to do? And I think my biggest advice for people is follow what you absolutely love. And my love was working with the front line. You know, I work with these, you know, the corporate world and incredible women in that world. But really my love and passion came when I walked in store and I met the person that had been there, you know, for six hours, she's on her heels, she's on a marble floor and she, she's, you know, might've unloaded, you know, 10 boxes of inventory that nobody knows. And she walks out on the sales floor with a smiling face to do someone's makeup. That's the person I connected with most. And I probably connected with her most because that was me. You know, that's where I started my career. I didn't start going to Stanford uh, with this big pedigree and then jumping into corporate. I literally started standing on a marble floor myself. So I had that connection and the importance. And, um, and that's really what made me decide this is where my love is. You know, this is my love lies not only building a company, but I get to help these people. I get to help this woman or, you know, these men build their careers. And this isn't just a counter job. This is actually a real career that I'm going to be able to start and help these people um, now have their own career journey through, through whatever I, I decided at the time, I didn't have a name of a company uh, to build. And to me internally, um, reinventing myself and switching it more to building for others and helping others truly was the biggest pivotal moment in my, in my career to decide to jump in and do this. So explain what that is. What is this? And that's really interesting because I think a lot of times that's what's missing for especially women. They're, they've got a lot going on and it's all going great, but there's an emptiness inside and it's because they are not helping and they're just doing for themselves and women like to help others. We just do. It feels good. Yeah. So how did you, how did you make that switch? So what I did was, is I, again, I had um, asked a few of my very close friends what this is. And it came down to, I had a, a an aunt uh, who I lost recently. And she said, you have been 
spending and building your entire career for this moment. And this moment is follow, follow your heart. And I thought my heart is people. My heart is connecting and being that connector for others. But this also had a lot of fear. I'm not good enough. Uh, I don't have enough money. Money was a big one, right? Here I have this comfy, cozy uh, salary and bonus. And all of a sudden I need to look at it and go, well, that's not gonna be here anymore. Um, I didn't, I wanted to self fund because to me going to a VC or raising capital meant I also had to answer to the man, <laughs> you know, again. Now that I didn't want to wind up in that situation either. So it came with a lot of tough decisions. Um, so worth it. I can't even begin to explain to you how grateful I am that I got to that place and really deciding if I wanted this, if I wanted to start my own business, if I wanted to make a difference in other people's lives and their own businesses, I wanted to, um, I left corporate. I just said, I'm done with it. I took whatever savings I had and I thought I'm gonna pour it all into, I had the support of, of my husband, which is amazing. And I thought I'm gonna pour all this in. And I was a breadwinner. It wasn't like my husband was this you know big, big uh, breadwinner, I was it. And so for us, this was a big risk, but it was a risk worth doing. So we ju I jumped in and uh, decided I was going to have to sell my house in the Bay Area, paying this big, gigantic mortgage, living this lifestyle. But I need to make some serious changes if I really want this. And I did. And what those changes were was having more cash flow personally. Um, where could I cut? You know, stop buying the really beautiful shoes and, and uh, apparel, you know, in fashion and really start downsizing everything. And so I started doing that slowly and started then building the company and thinking, you know, I remember sitting at the desk I'm sitting at today and kind of laughing to myself like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm actually doing this. And as scared as I was, it felt so good. Um, the support I have from colleagues and the other female uh, women in my life is really what drove me to continue doing this. Um, any doubt I would ever have, I would pick up the phone, call a believer, only call the believer, right? <laughs> you don't pick up the phone and ask the person who said, I don't think you should do this because there's more of those than you can count. Um, but, but call up the person says, I got your back. You got to do this. You're so good at this until you start believing it yourself. And that's what I did. And um, I started believing it myself after you know so many phone calls. And then I stopped calling and I stopped calling others to say, I believe in you and you can do this yourself. Um, at that point then, you know, headcount or, or the company really, I thought what, what kind of market appetite is out there? And so that story began of, you know, how do I, now build this, now that I'm in a place where personally I needed to downsize, personally I needed to, to move to a more affordable place. I even, I moved states um, because I had to be able to afford to do this. And then now I entered the phase of, you know, what professionally now, what is this gonna look like uh, from a business model standpoint? 
Awesome. So gutsy. So talk to us about what the, what the, this is, what are you doing? So people, people who are outside of the beauty industry too, will understand what it is. So the best way to explain it is when you think about beauty brands, right? The big guys, I'm talking L'Oreal, Estee Lauder's, Shiseido's, LVMH, all of these big beauty um, houses who have these brands, a hundred percent of them invest in a sales and education team. So you have all of these people out in store servicing and telling the brand story and engaging with the consumer, engaging with the big retailer, right? The beauty retailer. There's many of those out there now. And back when I was doing this, um, that's all every brand did, right? All the brands had sales and education teams. Um, this was also before DTC and online became important. So all of a sudden now the industry is shifting and now there's business that's happening direct to consumer. Um, with that, you need resources for a direct to consumer. There's only one pot of money. You've got your sales and education team, which is very costly because you have hundreds, maybe thousands of people on your payroll to now you're entering into a direct to consumer space. And again, like how do you weigh the importance? They're equally both important, you need both. And what I was noticing is that the smaller female founders that I admired so much were not able to scale their business. They weren't able to afford to have a person standing inside a Sephora, a Ulta, a Macy's, uh, a Nordstrom. And so you walk in and there's nobody representing their brand, right? Because they just can't simply afford it. And then, but all the big guys, um, you know, the man, so to speak, they all can't afford it. And so they're trying to compete with these big brands, but they're, they have so much life and their story is so rich. Uh, and they've done what I've done, right? They've taken a risk and they're doing it on their own and they probably left their corporate world. And I thought, I wanna help these, I wanna help these brands. And so there, there comes Headcount. Um, Headcount is a service that we provide and we basically go in store on behalf of the brand and we teach, train, uh, engage with the consumer and we really help these brands build their retail. We also do a back of the house operational piece. We do all their scheduling. You know, imagine, imagine uh, not knowing even where to start. You know, how do you even know what stores to go into? Because of my knowledge and my team's knowledge, we're able to say, you know, share your hundred doors that you're in. We'll give you the biggest bang for your buck. Um, we will coordinate which states and cities we believe you should go in based on our knowledge. And then we plan accordingly. We really pull together a strategy for them. And then we, we get them in store. We work with the retailer and get them in store. So we're really the, the company that you go to when you want that personal interaction, when you want your Sephora and Ulta team members to share your brand story. That's what Headcount does. It's we get you can scale nationally with us. Um, we're flexible. So you're not stuck into this big long contract. Um, you know, Headcount isn't in a, the first inventor of this. You know, I, I didn't invent this by myself. There were others before, but the real, what we did reinvent is 
how we structure it, how flexible we are for our brands. So our brands can, you know, during their busy times, they can call upon us. Um, and when it's slower times, they don't need to make as big as an investment, we'll pull back for them. You know, my first, my first client, um, we actually are helping them build out their field sales team. Now they're not taking our people and using them, but as they're moving across the country into different markets, then they'll release us. And then we'll go to a different market and kind of test for them the sales, like what's the market appetite in that market for them. Um, so it, it's been, you know, things are changing like every single day, I swear I'm learning something new at, at the value of uh, what our business has been able to give to these women founders. That's amazing. So are you working only with women, women founders? At the time I am, yes. And I, <laughs> I did not plan on it that way. Um, but that's just how it's happening. O only women founders for now, clean beauty brands. And uh, one thing we do uh, require is that all brands have to be cruelty-free. So no testing on animals whatsoever. That's amazing. So that's great. So you found a hole in the market which is fantastic. And it's something that you love to do. And I never even thought about that. How did that go with COVID though? When did you launch all this? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I know we, oh we have God. a whole, we have a whole series on pivoting yeah. in the pandemic. So yes, oh I know. Gosh. No, this is, that's the best because it, it's the, it's actually the best thing that could have happened. And it was so incredibly painful at the time. Signed on our first client in November of 2019. January, signed on a second client of 2020. February, my third client. And these are like the darlings of the industry. These are like the newbies coming up. So I'm just like, I can't even believe we have these brands. I'm so excited, right? And the relationship we're developing with these founders. So we're like, wow, like this is really happening. We're getting really excited, the team. And then boom, we hit a brick wall, right? March happens, it's over. We're paused and I didn't know what to do. I, I really didn't know what to do. I called up each of the founders and I said, hey, look, I don't know what this is. You don't know what this is. So let's just pause everything for now. Do you want your money back? You know, I, I'm more than happy to give you your money back. And they're like, absolutely. I mean, these brands were unbelievable. They said, absolutely not, Paula. We trust you. Let's just hold tight and, and let's see what, how this is going to play out. You know, so March happened, April, we're still closed. May, we're still closed down and it was tough. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to have a company, right? I gave, I put all my savings into this. Um, but I thought the one thing we are going to do. So I, I talked to my team and I said, okay, you guys, here's what we're going to do during this downtime. We're going to act as if we are building this huge company. Okay. We're going to spend our time putting infrastructure. I was going to look for a corporate, you know, a strong corporate attorney, a great CPA and really get all of our ducks in the row and just position ourselves to plan for the best. Right. I didn't want to, I already planned for the worst. That's how I, I, part of my business model was planning for the worst. So I knew I had enough leeway for about a year. Um, so I had planned for the worst. So I thought, okay, I've got that done. I'm going to plan for the best. And we did. And I thought, what if, you know, at the end of this, what if these brands had to lay off all their field teams? Unfortunately, what if we can then employ all these people? 
right? And what if we can then really help these brands get into market um, in a way that we never thought was going to be so valuable than ever. And so that's what we did during COVID. But I have to tell you, it, it sounds like, oh, yeah, that's great. And that's fine. <laughs> and it was, but I had a lot of sleepless nights. Because I thought I feel very, very responsible for my team. And um, they took a big risk joining me. You know, I have my, my right hand left her comfy L'Oreal job. And I feel so responsible for her that I thought, gosh, this is, I got to do everything I can to make this work. Um, and she believed in it and I believed in it. And our other uh, person on our, you know, our corporate team is like all of three, I hate even that word, um, believed in it. And so we planned for the best. And when and we started going and how's into- how's that going? Yeah, so what's happening? Yeah. So so up, get yeah. us up to speed. So up to speed is we, um, end of May, we were the first brand, our brands were the first to go in in COVID. Cause think about this, the end of May last year was still very early on in COVID. Um, the retailers were starting to open up, but very small windows. And so we were going in, but what we noticed in May, June, and July of last year is nobody else was in store but us for our three brands. So they were dominating, right? They were, we were really building up and, and not only dominating in sales, we were actually learning how to do this in a new way. Um, so we were the first to get in there, the first to learn, you know, how do you sell a skincare item that you can't open up and smell, that you can't touch, that you can't try on your hand. It was really tricky. Um, and we did it in a way where we had a lot of testimonials. We shared with them on screen before and afters. You know, our brands really came to the party and gave us resources that we could use in store. And um, that's what we did. And we really spent a lot of time building our relationships with our retailer as well in store. So how do we get that? That what, what, is, what are the changes that are gonna be there for the consumer? Because I did go into Sephora um, about six, four months ago, I guess, five months ago, kind of in the height. And you couldn't touch anything. I mean, it was pretty, pretty hilarious. You couldn't smell anything. <laughs> was, I was like, how are we going to do this? I'm not quite sure. So what is the consumer going to experience? So consumer is going to experience a lot of storytelling, right? A lot of storytelling and a lot of engagement, even though you're in brick and mortar, the use of like your phone. So you can actually show the consumer, let's say there's a skincare and they have, you know, a lot of uh, skincare brands are using before and afters. So they're showing their before and afters and we're actually showing them on the screen on their iPhones a before and after. Or we ourselves are show, walking in with, you know, one eye with a mascara down on one eye and the other without a mascara. Um, so they can see the before and after themselves. I do believe though it's opening up considerably um, more and more every day. So I don't believe this is gonna be long-term. Um, so I think you can expect that things are going to start opening up pretty broadly here. Uh, July is kind of like our, where we think it's going to be wide open and back to whatever normal means, uh, back to normal. We're thinking more July. Do you think but, we're going to actually touch anything again? I'm, I, yeah. do, are you finding people are going to stick their fingers and things and put it on their face? Well, it's happening now. 
it's happening now. So there are certain states that are allowing it. So there are certain states where we are, they have opened up the, the testers, right? And we call the, the units that all the products sit on the gondolas. So they are starting to open up their tester units. Um, consumers are wanting to touch it. They are wanting to play with it. The confidence, it's kind of surprising. The confidence is there that consumers do. And then you have the consumers who don't. And if they don't, that's fine too, right? Because now we've learned how to, how to engage with them and share the, the brand storytelling. I mean, you have to have this amazing product, but what I think is most crucial for new brands is you have to have this incredible story, right? If you're in it just to make a buck, I tell people don't do it. You know, if you're in it just to make money, I don't think that's really sustainable. And I think people can see right through it. But if you have this really cool story about your brand, because that's what people are gonna sink their teeth into. Um, and if they get home and they try it and it works, even better, right? Then they're gonna come back and replenish and now you've got a, a nice sustainable business on your hands. Well, I admire anybody who's willing to stick their finger into anything today. So I hope you're right. I'm terrified. I'm like, after after I've learned about all these things and for the first time didn't get sick and didn't get any colds, didn't get, I'm like not touching anybody. So I'm a long way from there, but maybe we'll come along. Any other things as we as we close out, Paula? It's great, great, great story. I love it. I and um, what else should people know about if they want to do something like you did? I think if you want to do something, you know, like this is, is the key thing is, you know, really trust you're worth it. You know, we're all worth it, right? We have something to offer and, and just know going into whatever you're doing, you're worth it. You deserve to have a, co a company for yourself. You deserve to, to not have to answer to the man. Um, you know, you deserve to have anything, there's an abundance of opportunity out there. And as long as you're open and willing to make some sacrifices, that to me is, is key, is staying open. Fantastic. How does somebody find you if they wanna find you? You know, so we do, uh, we do have our website, uh, headcount.com and it's headcount with a K. Um, and you find us really, we're, we're not 100% referral based, but most of our clients come from a, another client. So we're starting out word of mouth um, and I'm not doing any type of advertising. Uh, so it is more of an inside industry type of a, a conversation, but it again, because we wanna grow sustainably ourselves to give the integrity to each brand um, that's uh, signing on with us. But we right. do have a website or reach out to us is pretty simple. And am I crazy? I tried to find you on LinkedIn. Are you not on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn. You are? I could I not find you. Okay. All right. Good. So you're there. All right. Uh, and yeah. it's Paula Floyd, P-A-U-L-A-F-L-O-Y-D. Something must have gone wrong with my LinkedIn. I was like, how could she not be on LinkedIn? Everybody's oh, in LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and so is Headcount. So Headcount oh. with a K is on LinkedIn as well. All right. Well, wonderful. We know how to reach you. Thank you so much, Paula. What Thank a fascinating you. story. I love it. And I love how you pivoted out of the pandemic. I think it's fantastic. And women will be happy to know that, you know, you look, if you believe in it enough, you can make it happen. And that's what Absolutely. we're trying to tell them on this podcast. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paula. So thank you for listening to this conversation with Paula. I love the beauty industry. I always have been a beauty junkie. It's really pathetic, but I could buy this a new product every single day and still be uplifted by it. I used to go to class in college just so I could wear a new perfume or a new mascara or whatever. It gets me out of bed. Sorry, it just, it just works, whatever it happens. For those of you who are still reinventing and trying to get started, I've created a wonderful little product for you that you can go over to the Covey Club site and download. It's called 31 Badass Tips to Launch Your Reinvention, without fear, of course. And you can pull it down, it has links to all stories we've, uh, we've done. It has links to various um, organizing principles and organizing books and all the stuff that I've learned in the last 10 years, really, that will help hopefully get you started. Because I think the hardest part is that fear of, oh my God, how am I gonna do this? And the biggest issue actually is just putting one foot in front of the other and beginning. Once you begin, a lot of the anxiety goes away. So if you go over to the Covey Club site, Go to the connect area in the nav bar, pull down connect, and you will see that little gift. And we would love to help you out and get you started. Also subscribe so you can listen to all our upcoming interviews and we are making them broader and more interesting as we go. We've got so much inspiration, so many steps. And as you know, my mantra is it ain't over till you say it's over. So hopefully you will have a great reinvention and we'll see you next time.